0: Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, May 20th, the day after Election Day. Today, back in the day in 1902, Cuba gained independence from the United States, and Tomás Estrada Palma became that country's first president. And today on a special episode of The Local, it's the election edition. We will run down the results of the key elections in Oregon and the metro area, We'll follow it up with an interview from Commissioner-Elect Carmen Rubio, Portland City Council Position 1, somebody who won last night.
1: In the history of the city, we have never had a Latinx perspective and voice, uh, policy voice, um, in a leadership position from City Council. And so I think that, th- that, that there's a recognition that there is time for that here. It's, it's long overdue, and there is no more important time than right now.
0: First up, it is today's local rundown election edition. A historic city of Portland race, Carmen Rubio will be the first Latina member of the Portland City Council. A year ago, she got in the race to fill the only then open city council seat to succeed the retiring Amanda Fritz. Months later, she emerged as a clear front runner and became the one city council candidate to be declared the winner last night. Some city and metro races will continue with some of the remaining candidates too close to certify as of midnight election night. Mayor Ted Wheeler looks to be avoiding a runoff by a couple of thousand votes. That's just a skosh. A late push by Sarah Iannarone might still get her into that runoff. Wheeler needs to clear 50% to win outright. As of midnight, he had just over 51%. Mary Nolan will be in the runoff for the Metro seat. Chris Smith leads Cameron Witten for the runner-up spot. Loretta Smith will be in the runoff for City Council Position 2. Dan Ryan leads Tara Hurst, Julia DeGraw, and Sam Chase for that second spot. And Chloe Daly will make a runoff to keep her seat, but with not much more than 30% of the vote. And as of midnight, Mingus Maps leads Sam Adams by about 500 votes to run against her in that November general. A lot of political chatter that either Mingus Maps or Sam Adams in the general election might be able to defeat Chloe Udaly. But first of all, one of them has to beat the other. Anna Metro Council District 3, Garrett Rosenthal will be running against Tom Anderson.
2: It was a good night for doctors headed to Salem. House District 33, Dr. Maxine Dexter held off competitors Sarah Bustle, Christina Stevenson, and Andy Salts. We talked to her about her experience working on COVID-19 as an emergency pulmonary doctor. Now she'll be the presumptive legislator in that Democratic district. In House District thirty six, Lisa Reynolds has defeated labor lobbyist Lori Wimmer and Labor organizer Rob Fulmer. Doctor Reynolds has been criticized for her support of Republican Newt Bueller, but she continues a big night for the lab coats on mail pieces.
0: In other State House primaries, House District 42, Con Pham, a community organizer from the Jade District who worked on the Green Jobs Ballot Initiative recently, has defeated former county chair Jeff Kogan, who attempted to make a political comeback. House District 35, firefighter Dacia Graber won the party nomination, and Senate District 14, Kate Lieber, is the nominee, filling the seat vacated by Mark Haas. Lieber, a deputy district attorney, defeated attorney, and Washington County Commissioner Dick Scouton, who had served in the county commission for over two decades. And in Senate District 18, Ginny Burdick defeated challenger Ben Bowman. Burdick, a longtime state senator and gun control advocate, has been criticized as too corporate-friendly as Portland-area legislators go. She'll be the Democratic nominee and likely to head back to Salem from her Democratic-leaning Portland district.
2: On the federal side, Vice President Joe Biden has won the Oregon Democratic primary to face Donald Trump. Trump is the only candidate on the Republican ballot. Other Republican Party candidates like former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, were blocked from ballot access by Republican state parties across the country. Republican Cliff Bentz won his party's nomination for the 2nd Congressional District to succeed Greg Walden. Bents is a lawyer for corporate agriculture with state legislative experience. Urbane and deportment and scary as heck to progressive movement. Nike founder Phil Knight has donated $100,000 to one of Bents opponents, Newt Bueller. Nonetheless, Clint Bents will likely head to Congress next year from that rural Republican district.
0: And Kurt Schrader won again. Kurt Schrader, congressional representative, has won the Democratic nomination to serve a seventh term in the U.S. House. He held off Milwaukee, Oregon, Mayor Mark Gamba. Gamba received support from the same group that helped elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and hoped to make it a race of progressive versus centrist or worse. Schrader was voted the Chamber of Commerce's second favorite Democrat and the seventh most conservative Democrat in Congress. He also had a $3 million campaign war chest, mostly from corporate PACs. And with most of the ballots counted, Schrader has 70% of the votes.
2: An incumbent congressional roundup, Jeff Merkley handily won the U.S. Senate primary. He had considered running for president, but packed it in when there was not a path to be on the ballot for the U.S. Senate race as well. And now he heads into the November election with a head of steam to be reelected to the U.S. Senate for a third term. He will be running against Republican nominee Joe Ray Perkins. In U.S. House District 3, Earl Blumenauer has won another Democratic nomination for Congress. Among other candidates, DSA member Albert Lee mounted a challenge but ended up falling short. Representative Blumenauer will run against Republican Joanne Harbour. Suzanne Bonamici handily won the primary U.S. House District 1. Of course, that district stretches from the west side of Portland to the coast and south to Yamhill County. Suzanne Bonamici has gotten the party's nod as she runs for her fifth term against Republican Christopher C. Christensen. Peter DeFazio won the Democratic nomination to continue to serve as U.S. House Representative from District 4, which includes Eugene and Roseburg. He has served the district since 1987, and he will run against Republican Alex Skartalos.
0: Okay, Here statewide races. As of midnight, Mark Haas held a 9,000-vote lead over Shamia Fagan in the Secretary of State Democratic primary, with Jamie McLeod Skinner coming in third. State Senator Fagan, viewed as a rising star, had raised more money than the other candidates combined, largely from public labor, got criticized by outgoing State Representative Alyssa Kenny Geyer. But this race is still too close to call. 9,000 votes is kind of a lot to overcome, but Multnomah County votes often get counted late. We'll see if that remains true during the pandemic. Kim Thatcher, conservative activist and state senator, won the Republican nomination for Secretary of State. And Tobias Reed and Jeff Goodman will face off again to be state treasurer. Tobias Reed, the current treasurer, beat Lake Oswego City Council Jeff Goodman in 2016 by less than two and a half percent, with nine and a half percent going to the independent party candidate and four percent going to the Pacific Green candidate, Chris Henry. Which gets to another interesting piece of the story. Chris Henry is running again, this time running for the independent party nomination. And although the races are too close to call, according to 95 percent reporting, Kim Thatcher is ahead in the secretary of state's race and Chris Henry is ahead in the treasurer's race for the Independent Party of Oregon nomination. And lest one can think you can predict what the Independent Party is going to do, Kim Thatcher, conservative Republican, Chris Henry, a Pacific Green Party member, Joe Biden beat Trump 52 to 38 in the Independent Party primary, even though the voters in that primary seemed to lean Republican in the down ballot races. And Ellen Rosenblum will face Michael Cross in her bid for re-election as Attorney General.
2: An update on the gas tax and homeless services measures. Portland has renewed the 10 cent per gallon gas tax. Focused on safe routes to schools, neighborhood greenways, traffic signals, street lighting and sidewalks. Portland said yes again to the gas tax. The houseless services ballot measure was also approved. Proposed by Metro, the region has said yes to a 10-year focus on homeless services. Paid for by a corporate tax on businesses with income over $5 million and households earning over $200,000 jointly or $125,000 individually, the measure will bring $250 million a year to the region.
0: In your judicial and law and order races, Multnomah County District Attorney will be Mike Schmidt, not the former third baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies, but the Executive Director of the Oregon Criminal Justice Commission. He was elected over Assistant U.S. Attorney for Oregon Ethan Knight in the race to be Multnomah County's next top prosecutor. Mike Schmidt breaks the tradition of a succession of hand-picked prosecutor insiders. A decisive victory with over 114,000 votes to Knight's 36,000 votes. Was it the John Legend bump? John Legend, like, said out a tweet for him. I tend to think John Legend was just front-running, just backing the likely winner. Because, you know, that's how John became a legend.
2: In the Multnomah County Circuit Court race, Adrian Brown versus Rima Gandor in a runoff. In a race with five competitors, including Ernest Warren Jr., Rima Gandor, John Schlosser, and Sonia Maltobano, Adrian Brown and Rima Gandor have gotten the nod to move into a runoff. Brown, an Air Force veteran and Lewis and Clark grad, Gandor brings over two decades of experience as a civil law attorney.
0: And your daily dose of data. The state reported two new deaths and 33 new cases of COVID-19. Clackamas County has submitted a reopening plan. Washington County expected to apply on Friday, leaving Multnomah County as the last county to apply to reopen. And that's today's Quick 6, I don't know, Quick 16 local rundown. And coming up next, Emily Gilliland and I talk to City Commissioner-Elect Carmen Rubio. The first thing I want to say is congratulations. How have you enjoyed being a candidate?
1: You know, I there, there have been really great things about it, and there have been things that have really challenged me. Um, but but I think that it made me better. Um, I love, love talking to people. I love meeting new people and, and learning about parts of Portland that I that I don't know uh, well enough yet or about whole networks of community that are, that have a a focus and are making.
0: What's a part of Portland. What's a part of Portland that you're learning more about, or what's a part of Portland that was more unfamiliar to you before that you feel more familiar with now?
1: Well, um, I've always been really aware of, um, and we've worked in East Portland for quite a long time, many, many years in the, in the work that I've done. But um, I'm learning about um, just how, how many um, inroads and, and leadership um, uh, uh, things that, that they have going on there now since I've been at the city, which has been phenomenal. And they truly are a political force in this community. And so I'm really excited to see how, uh, in, in this role, I can be helpful in lifting up voice to make that impact even stronger.
0: What have been the things that have challenged you most? What are the parts you've liked least?
1: I think when I first started, um, campaigning, I felt very, um, uh, uncertain about how I, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like unsure about how I talked about the issues. I really felt a, a deep responsibility to um, knowing an issue very thoroughly so I could give a very thorough answer. And then it really clicked for me that, no, this is a time to learn from people. This is a time where I don't have the answers. I, I need to go learn about the answers that exist in community. Um, and that are also, you know, that stuff is going on. There's a lot of expertise in the community. And so this was a great time of learning for me. And, and that learning helped me really refine, um, a better vision for Portland.
0: That sounds nice, but it doesn't sound hard. Doesn't seem like that would bum you out.
1: Um, I think it it didn't bum me out. No, it was, it was just a learning process for me. I think about the thing that maybe bummed me out or that was hard is, um, that there were a lot of unexpected things happening in this time in our community. This pandemic hit right in the middle of all yeah. this. And not only that, um, our community and my nonprofit that I, I run, like, you know, our community was one of the most impacted in Oregon. And so being a full-time, um, uh, you know, holding my full-time job and working full-time while, while running full-time was a lot. And then this, on top of that, COVID-19. So all these things together uh, made it a very stressful time, but um, but we're doing it. Yeah.
0: We're talking to Carmen Rubio, newly elected city councilor of Portland. I want to bring in Emily Gilliland. Emily, can you hear us? And will we be able to hear you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Carmen, hello. Great to see you. Great to hear you. You know, one of the things I think as a candidate that's such a valuable opportunity is to hear voices of folks from across this community. How have you balanced, and I'm not even sure the balance is the right way, when so many folks have vision for this community, have passion for solutions, and what your candidacy could look like, what your administration could look like as a city commissioner. How have you balanced voices and made sure that you're engaging communities across Portland?
1: Well, in my career, um, since I've been in Portland, I've had tremendous opportunities because uh, of the roles that I worked in. uh, on the community side and on the government side to really um, you know, have a really broad network of people that were a good starting place. And so um, through this broad network, I, were, I was able to meet um, their connections and their connections. So I got to meet people that I know had I not run, perhaps I never would have had an opportunity to meet. And so in that way, um, it kept uh, the, uh, the different community groups and different uh, perspectives really allowed me to consider all sides of an issue. I, I won't say all sides because I haven't heard or learned everything yet, but multiple sides. And that's exactly the kind of perspectives that we need. And we need someone that can listen to all sides of something before being thoughtful in making a, a decision.
2: Any, mm-hmm. any issues where you've changed your
1: mind? Um, I don't know that there are issues um, yet that I've, completely changed my mind but there are some issues that the more that I learn about them the more I realize um, I don't have all the information I want to learn more and it's not just a quick answer about this or, or that there are some issues that there are no quick answers you really have to learn um, and I still uh, have learned about um, some issues where uh, there are whole sets of people and individuals and perspectives I haven't yet had the, the opportunity to hear from that are that are that I need to do that, particularly. Probably in housing, I know that infill is is a big issue right now in our in you know in our community, and we know that we need to become a denser city. And I'm just eager to really get in there and learn. And, and look at um, the strategies, look at the rationale for a lot of the things that, um, for a lot of the reasons that the city uh, decided to move forward in this. Um, and also just very eager to, to see where community voice comes in there and how it has shaped it and how it can continue to shape it to, be, to become even better.
0: It feels like a lot of your thrust. I remember when we spoke on the radio months ago in the earlier days of your campaign, certainly now, uh, much of your methodology is, uh, that I hear is around, well, who are the people I'm connecting with? Who are the groups I'm connecting with? How do I make sure there's a lot of people who are engaging in the subject matter? How can I interact and engage with community? Uh, and I do think that speaks to some degree of the leadership style that we might anticipate with you in City Hall. On the subject matter area, was there anything that surprised you? Not only who was saying what or all the people. I mean, it was 600,000 people. You might have only met 590,000 of them. Who knows? But the, so not just new people you met, but any subject matter that, a, an angle of which surprised you that if it didn't change your mind, at least you realize, oh, that's something I've got to carry with me and how I understand this or how I communicate about this.
1: Yes, I I started to learn uh, quite a bit more about um, our air quality and pollution, and particularly in certain parts of Portland where there are a lot of pollutants in the air and how there has been a history of, of community advocacy around these very issues. And these are things that I, in my everyday work, um, We, you know, environmental justice is very much a part of my everyday work right now, but um, to have such a clear focus and a long history of that advocacy in the city of Portland, that's a new area for me. So I know I still have a lot of questions around that and around um, what other parts of Portland, you know, are um, also experiencing the same or similar things and what has the city uh, done or made progress on? And um, what can we do in the future? So things like that. That's one clear one that I that I can think of right now.
2: Hmm. This obviously has been a big personal sacrifice for you, a sacrifice for your friends and family um, in, in lots of good ways. But where do you want to give gratitude? Uh, I probably would
1: absolutely need to start with um, a lot of the advisors and mentors um, probably all up in my life that have led me sort of to this point, um, that have encouraged me or believed in me. Uh, I have to give a huge um, debt of gratitude to Commissioner Nick Fish, because he really was the one that um, really pushed me pretty strongly uh, to, to make this move, and so uh, because he believed in me. It gave me a confidence. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he was on council and he would know. And so uh, for him to tell me that really gave me a boost of confidence. Um, and that that made a huge difference. It's, I also, I wouldn't say my partner, Tony, he's been doing all the laundry and cleaning in the house and cooking um, and has not complained once. So it's it's been pretty good. I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. Today is the end of phase one of this campaign. What does tomorrow look like? Well, depending on whatever the outcome is tonight, tomorrow we take a, a rest in the morning and then we um, quickly recalibrate and make a new plan.
0: So so let's let's imagine. It seems to me that there are two scenarios. You might be humble and pretend there's a third. But to me, there's two scenarios and one seems much more likely uh, one scenario is that you win outright. Another scenario is that there's a runoff. There does not seem to be any scenario where you, there does not seem to me to be a third scenario. Uh, the I want to actually put ourselves in each of those scenarios, and that we can air the interview in full, and people could you know think about that. But also, if we just air it tomorrow, we can just air it as if now we know, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's first imagine uh, Emily's question through the lens of you're in a runoff. There's a break and then the campaign goes forward. What does a campaign in Portland look like in the next six months where we're wrestling with how much that we are socially distanced versus how much we are re-emerging to how much we're in the, you know, Jeep party in Texas and, you know, saying, woohoo party uh, as people have been celebrating over the last several minutes, apparently. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I think if we are talking about that scenario, what it would mean, you know, from tomorrow on is that we really need to look strongly about how we can um, better get our, D- our our policy ideas out there to the voters um, and also recalibrate a little bit. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Our priorities as a community have shifted drastically and dramatically. Um, what matters um, now are, are not, you know, are things that we care about the fire, um, life, and safety issues. Um, do people have enough food to eat um, if they're unemployed? How are um, people going to get the mel- the he- uh, health care that they need? Um, how are children and students going to um, have um, equitable access to um, to learning? Um, all of these things are are predicated on a system that is working perfectly, and we. Don't have that system right now. I can tell you right now that we see in my nonprofit that um, we have families that are in deep need. Um, not and we have a huge digital divide um, right now for uh, many uh, communities and families living in poverty are living paycheck to pay, paycheck and the working poor. Um, we have frontline uh, workers who are at higher, you know, experiencing higher rates of illness during this time as well. And there are so many implications for their family um, as, you know, primary earners and their family who are sick. Um, what does that mean for the children and for other adults in the family? And, and so there's just um, so many questions. We, we have new and urgent priorities, and that is the task um, of the city council of all local jurisdictions and the state. Um, and as a candidate, Um, That would be my priority to understand more deeply from impacted communities. What are the urgent priorities now? These are the things that need to be the focus of the campaign going forward.
0: On digital divide and the issue of the digital divide, what do you see as a solution? Do you think that the city of Portland should invest significantly in more Internet capacity? And if we invest in more Internet capacity, should that, in fact, be operated by the city? Should we move in the direction of sort of publicly owned Wi-Fi or do you have a different idea?
1: I am in support of um, ideally uh, having a, a, a publicly owned Wi-Fi that that can be equitably accessed uh, by all residents in the community. Um, what that looks like, whether it's city owned or whether it's a collaboration, you know, of regional jurisdictions, you know, I'm open to um, you know, uh, entertaining multiple scenarios. Um, but the fact of it is. Um, In this time, if we are going to start moving more online um, in terms of providing access to government services, et cetera, um, we need to make sure that all communities are participating in the digital economy.
0: So put ourselves a year ago where you have an incumbent mayor in the middle of a strong economy. You have an incumbent uh, city councilor, Chloe Udaly. You have a Nick Fish who is alive and you have you running, deciding to run for a uh, city council at that time, one might have predicted that of all of the people I just named, you would be the one that had the most work to do to become a city councilor yes. in part, because the other three people already were those. And that when you, when other candidates started to emerge, at some point, the Carmen Rubio campaign became the one that seemed like the fait accompli. This is the one that, well, OK, we don't know what's going to happen to all these, but it seemed pretty obvious you're going to be elected for like the last four months. At what point did it surprise you that of all of the candidates in all of these races, the first time in my lifetime, I think ever in recorded memory, that there have been four of the five city council seats up, did it occur to you that you were the most like an incumbent of any of the candidates, the most likely to win of any of the candidates, the mayor in somewhat similar position, but you haven't been the mayor before. At what point did that dawn on you? Or yeah, think about, yeah, I'm curious.
1: I think, um, I think that it, it, you know, I had a recognition of what a an, an historic opportunity this was uh, to be in this seat at this time, given all those other factors you just talked about. Um, you know, when, when Nick's seat opened up, and I realized that um, other people that I highly respect were getting into that race um, and other races. And um, I, you know, I, I, I would hope that it was because, in part, that they see that I'm a hard worker. I've accomplished um, some solid um, uh, progress for our community, um, that I can collaborate with others. I'm hoping that those are reasons why they decided to pursue other Um, seats. But I also have to say that we're living in a point in time where there's a deep recognition in our community that we do not have a voice of of a particular set of communities that are highly um, under attack right now nationally. Um, this racist um, presidential administration has blazon like you know brazenly targeted immigrants, refugees, communities of color, uh, Latinx people, um, and we have that voice very clearly missing and have had it missing from um, our local government for a very, very long time. In the history of the city, we have never had a Latinx perspective and voice, uh, policy voice um, in a leadership position from city council. And so I think that th- that that there's a recognition that there is time for that here. It's, it's long overdue and there is no more important time than right now.
2: In any campaign, there's the person there's the place, meaning the position. There's the timing. And there's the strategy. With a little bit of 2020 vision in your hindsight, what are the components of your campaign that you think really worked that, are, that you are proud of?
1: Um, I'm really proud that I had such a broad base of support, um, that I've had some really great training and really great models. Um, um, both, you know, in learning um, things that have worked and also seeing sometimes um, experience of others that haven't worked so well and kind of learning from that. Um, I, uh, I think I've also had the great um, uh, benefit of having worked as a nonprofit director for 10 years. That is not an easy thing to do as you you, you all know. And so um, given those things, um, you, you experience, uh, you know, the highs and lows of funding, and the middles of funding you experience. I, I talk about uh, being a nonprofit director is sort of like going camping. You, When you go camping, you have to be sure that you have everything you need because no one's gonna come rescue you when you're out there. No one's gonna come change your light bulb or uh, put up your tent for you. If you even brought your tents, so that's sort of how, what it's like. You have to figure it out. You have no choice, and you know you're um, responsible for the livelihood of all these people on payroll, <laughs> and um, it's you know their it's their families and their kids, um, and we can't let them down, and we have to meet the mission. And I sort of you know draw on that experience um, for this campaign. You can't let people down. You're responsible for carrying those voices forward, and we need to make progress on our mission.
2: We've had the opportunity to interview over 65 candidates at this point across races, across this state, and with each, someone made the decision, sometimes with encouragement, sometimes they felt their own confidence to be able to step out into the unknown and run as a candidate. There are a lot of folks that are out there that would say, never, I would never do such a thing. And yet, it's such a critical service to this community to make sure that there is a diverse array of voices and identities showing up representing our boldest vision for our communities. What's your advice to someone who's on the edge or considering running? I would say that, um, you know,
1: a year ago, I never would have seen myself um, a full year ago, I never would have seen myself here. I was one of those people that said, never me. But you know, there comes a time when, you know, you look about the, the world around you, you see what's happening and leadership matters. And when you know, when you feel so compelled and angry, look at that as a calling for service. That means that that you should do something with, with that energy. Um, volunteer, get involved, sure. But push yourself to take leadership. And to do something about I have such a profound and deep respect now for every single person that's made the the hard decision to run for, you know, uh, run a campaign. And um, it, you know, you it is like the longest most public uh, most, you know, visible, exposing, uh, you know, job interview that you will ever have in your life. And it tests you and it tests your leadership and your leadership resiliency. And if you are not a better person at the end of that process, no matter the outcome, then you, were, you weren't giving it your all. <laughs> you know, you, you, you didn't put it in what you really could get out of it. So uh, I encourage people to run. Um, we need good people to run. And um, that's only what's gonna get us out of this, um, this darkness, this dark cloud that we're in. And I'm so heartened by all the people that are running right now. I'm just in awe of the incredible people that we see running. It's, it's, a, it's, it's incredible. It's gonna be a, a transformative next set of years.
2: Well Carmen, as I close that interview, I just a huge thanks for committing to this campaign and to this community and all the ways that you have and you will. Uh, Thanks for joining us on X-Ray today and sharing just a little bit of time. Oh, it's a a very important day for you. We appreciate you.
0: And I hope we have a chance to talk in a couple of months after you've come to grips with some of the next steps. And you'll be wearing a somewhat different hat. But thank you so much for spending this time.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you to Commissioner-elect Rubio for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown at about 30 minutes. Please do rate and review the podcast. Please do share it with friends. And I hope you liked this episode. This episode took hours and hours and hours to produce. I'm not thanking myself. I want to thank Emily. I want to thank Will. I want to thank all the candidates. We've done over 65 interviews. We were prepared for this. We stayed up pretty much around the clock getting it done. If you've got story ideas, send us an email at, the local at x-ray.fm. Talk to you tomorrow. We'll have more Oregon election results. Today is gone. Today was fun. Tomorrow will be another one, said Dr. Seuss. In the meantime, stay home. Unless you got to go outside and certainly stay connected. And thank you, Democracy. X-ray.